friends. Welcome back to the episode of Be Here for a While. Today's episode of Be Here for a While is brought to you by Athletic Greens, Pros Hair Care, and Native Deodorant, and other delicious smelling products by them. I'm going to keep this intro short because I am so excited about my guest today. It is Sarah Turney, who is fighting for justice for her sister, Alyssa Turney. Now, if you don't know about this case, here is a brief rundown to make a little more sense of the insane details we are going to cover in this podcast. If you have been following uh, Sarah's story on TikTok, you might uh, know about some of this. It's She's doing a very good job of bringing it to light recently using you know, the tools of TikTok and the media and her new podcast, Voices for Justice. So you may recognize the details, but in case you don't, I want to give you a brief rundown before uh, we go into my interview with Sarah Turney. So in 2001, Alyssa Turney was a 17-year-old junior in high school, living with her stepsister Sarah and stepfather Michael Turney. Alyssa's mother had passed away and Michael's older three boys were living out of the house. Each sister had a very different relationship with their father. Michael was a cool, laid-back dad with Sarah, even giving her money for weed when she was an adult, giving her her first Oxycontin, uh, filling up a a mini-fridge with beer that she kept in her room. Like, really lax. But with Alyssa, he was more uptight and strict and monitored her whereabouts. He told Sarah he did this because Alyssa needed more guidance and direction in life. He also adamantly told everyone while Alyssa was alive and very much so after her disappearance that she was too stupid or her ADHD got in the way of her being able to do basic human tasks so he had to monitor her. So tensions between Alyssa and her stepfather were always high. In May 17, 2001, it was the last day of school before summer break and Michael failed to show up to pick Sarah up after school. She ended up walking to a friend's house to wait for him. Sometime between 4 and 5 p.m., her father finally arrived and informed Sarah that Alyssa was missing. Sarah used her father's phone to try to contact Alyssa on the way home, but couldn't reach her. At the house, Michael had Sarah check Alyssa's bedroom. There, she found the contents of Alyssa's backpack scattered on her bed and her cell phone on top of the dresser next to the note. I find this part very strange that, like, if you, okay, if your daughter got missing and, and you were already kind of checking things out, you would have gone in her room. You didn't just purposely have your other daughter go, you know, she's the one to discover it. So it's not like you, you would have already gone in the room. You would have been the first to see this, but whatever. So there was a note. The note read, Dad and Sarah, when you dropped me off at school today, I decided I really am going to California. Sarah, you said you really wanted me gone. Now you have it. Dad, I took $300 from you. That's why I saved my money. It should be noted, though, that she had close to $1,800 in her bank account from her job at Jack in the Box that she did not take with her. So this was not surprising to Sarah at first because Alyssa actually did have an aunt in California who she had talked about going to live with recently, and she had not been getting along with her father. That night, Michael, who used to be a cop himself, called the police to report Alyssa as a runaway. Again, runaway, not missing person. Maybe knowing, this is all my thoughts on this, maybe knowing that they wouldn't look as hard for a runaway other than a mysterious missing person. So police opened a missing persons file, but no investigation or follow-up was done. As Michael claimed, she was a runaway and that he knew her location was in California. 
A week after Alyssa disappeared, Michael told police he received a call from her early that morning where she blamed him as the reason she left. Now, for a man that had recording devices on their phones and recorded hours of phone calls dating back to the 1970s, it's pretty odd that days after your daughter goes missing, you have a glitch in the recording. No, like it didn't record, just that tape randomly. So during the years after her disappearance, Michael started telling family and those close to Alyssa that he had thought something terrible had happened to her. He thought someone might have been following her or caused her harm. And since the police were not doing anything, he had to search for himself. Michael would even make several trips to California to search and pass out missing persons flyers of Alyssa. Michael also claimed there was random tattooed guys that could have driven her there. Just he, he would tell a different story to different people. In the seven years since Alyssa had gone missing, she had not contacted a single one of her friends or anyone in her family. The $1,800 she initially had in her bank was never touched. Social security number never used. Um, and it had become clear to the police that this was not a runaway case. Police learned that the day Alyssa went missing, she was not in school the entire day. Michael had picked her up from school near lunchtime, which was confirmed by her boyfriend, John, who said Alyssa had told him she was leaving early, but would see him later that evening at the end of the year party. Many of her friends also claimed that she told him that she would see them later that night at the party. Michael's version of the story was that he picked her up to get lunch. When they arrived home, they got in a fight about the house rules, which ended with her storming off into her room and him leaving to run errands. Now, let me also point out that the note said after they got in a fight, when he dropped her off at school, she had decided to run away. Not in the middle of the day after the... Which is also suspect well because his story was it would change constantly and different versions were told to many different people sarah herself never even knew until recently that her dad had picked Alyssa up early from school police also discovered michael was a very litigious and paranoid man he had documented every incoming and outgoing call to the house and had cameras placed outside and inside the property there was even a hidden one in the vent of the living room when police asked for the videotapes of the day of Alyssa's appearance Michael told them he had reviewed them and there was nothing to see. When they asked for the audio tapes of that day, he told them that unfortunately on that day, the recorder had been turned off. So nothing was recorded. At this point, police now had enough probable cause to search the house. In doing so, investigators came across 26 homemade pipe bombs and a 90-page manifesto written by Michael. In the manifesto, Michael claimed that Alyssa had run away, but he believed she was followed by two men from the electrical union he used to work for. During this time at the electrical union, he was a whistleblower, and he believed that the men took revenge on him by murdering Alyssa. He then avenged her death by killing the two men. Side note, those men he was referring to were both to have been found to have been di had died of natural causes. Police also recovered tons of paperwork and hundreds of hours of audio and videotapes, but were still unable to find anything from that day Alyssa went missing. Letters were found where Alyssa claimed to have been molested by Michael, and contracts were found where Alyssa had signed that she had never been sexually assaulted, meaning Michael forced her to sign these contracts. But in other reports, her own writings, uh, evidence from her boyfriend, cousin, so her friends, her boyfriend, and a teacher later confirmed about hearing about these allegations. Michael Turney ended up pleading guilty and served 10 years in prison for the 26 pipe bombs. He was also declared to have paranoid personality disorder, no shit, and required to participate in mental health treatments. 
There is so much evidence that Michael Turney sexually abused Alyssa, including found footage of sexual abuse material of Alyssa recorded by Michael that was found at the home by a cousin. Alyssa reporting to a teacher at nine years old that she was having sex with her dad. And this home video that Sarah uncovered from her childhood that she does not remember at the time where Alyssa states that her dad is a pervert. Here is the clip. Hit the red button. Why? Hit the red button now. I don't want to. I don't record. Hit the red button. Sarah! I'll record you. And you're still recording. And Lisa is stupid moron. As a side note, there are a few seconds here and there during this episode in the interview where there was a bit of an internet issue, so the audio was a little shaky, but I didn't want to edit it out because I want you to hear Sarah's full story in the fight for justice for her sister and hopefully the conviction of Michael Turney for the murder of Alyssa. You can follow Sarah on TikTok at Sarah E. Turney. And you can follow her on Instagram at the same place, Sarah E. Turney. And here, without further ado, is my interview with Sarah Turney. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm like really excited to have you on. I have, it's been a quick, when did I reach out to you? Like a week ago? Yeah, something like that. It was, it was not too long ago at all. I became obsessed with you really quickly. I hope you're not afraid of me. Uh, but, like, <laughs> but you, the, the case, the justice for your sister that is absolutely necessary uh, and your podcast. I mean, I couldn't stop listening to it. I, it is one of the most riveting podcasts I think I've ever heard, honestly. Oh, wow. Well, thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. That's extremely kind of you to say. Yeah, it's, it's just, I think it's because well, A, it's so personal, but it it feels so obvious a little in a way where it like, you just want to know why your dad hasn't been caught and like what that like, I feel like as like, as a citizen detective, I'm like, you have all the evidence guys, come on, um, which I'm sure you feel as well, but that's, it just, it's very good, very well done as well, so. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I try just to lay it out the best I can and let people come to their own decision. But I do have to say that, of course, the evidence points pretty much in one direction. Mm -hmm. I think you're very fair, though, in terms of like, I think it was your it might be your first episode after the call you play with him. I think you say he's pretty convincing, right? Or like it seems like it's not like a witch hunt necessarily on your podcast. Like you're just laying out the facts. Yeah. And I try to make it that way very much, but played that first call in the first episode was really fair because of course, you know, by the time you make it to the end of the podcast, there is this much more dynamic conversation I have with him before that, that I could have easily played in the beginning to hook people and make them feel a certain way. Um, but again, I did that really strategically. I never wanted this to be, Hey, here's the story of why I think my dad did it. It is here is the story of what actually happened and how insane this story is and how there's still no justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to kind of the beginning of, I guess, the day she uh, disappeared. And is there anything you're not okay talking about, by the way? Uh, no, I'm open to whatever, for sure. Okay. 
Okay. Um, I mean, you, you've stated very clearly in your podcast that you were the last to suspect your dad, but now, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. looking back on that first day or the first couple weeks, now, is there anything that maybe kind of makes you think, oh, huh, that's weird? Yeah, I think and that's a great question. Honestly, I don't think I've ever been asked that. Um, looking back now as an adult, um, yeah, I wonder why I was allowed to really just do what I was doing that summer, which to be honest, was going out every single night to my friend's house um, because their dad worked nights. So we would go out there and you know drink and smoke and hang out with older boys and whatnot. And my dad would literally drop me off after their dad went to work at like 9 p.m. or whatever, and then come pick me back up at like six or seven in the morning, no Knowing that I was up all night and I was partying all night. He let me sit there and sleep in Alyssa's bed. He let me wallow in it without ever really talking about it. Um, so yeah, why all of a sudden um, he was totally fine with me doing these things and knowing about these things. I mean, my goodness, when I get into your vehicle and I'm 12 years old, 7 a.m. and I smell like cigarettes or whatever, like maybe it's time to have a conversation with your kid about what's going on and how they're processing their their sister being gone. Um, but yeah, I mean, in addition to that, of course, he was gone all the time. He would um, go make these trips to California. And when I think back on it, I don't know what he was doing. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I think his behavior was extremely odd now that I look back on it. But you thought maybe he was going to Riverside or wherever and like looking for her or Riverside County. Where, where was it? Where did he think it was? Uh... What was the town he kept going to? Yeah. Where you guys so, went and you rented a convertible or something, which is just absolutely bizarre. Because because your sister might recognize the car and think it's cool. Like, so that's something, yeah, that also is really weird looking back on it, right? So he did start visiting, you know, according to him, Riverside, California, which is where the phone call a week later came from that we, mm -hmm. you know, still don't know if it's really Alyssa. And that's also where our aunt lived. But like you said, he rented a white Mustang convertible in order to like draw Alyssa to this car. But what he also told me was, you know, he wanted to fulfill his dream of driving up the Pacific Coast Highway in a convertible. And to me, that reminds me very really does remind me of Casey Anthony you know if you think back to that case after her daughter died she went and partied she did the hot body contest she got a tattoo Bella Vita you know um beautiful love and it just reminds me of that why are you going to fulfill this life dream after your daughter goes missing it just doesn't seem correct and I'm not one to like tell people how to grieve or what to do but to mm -hmm. me it just seems odd yeah su super odd Today's program is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the all-in-one daily drink to support better health and peak performance. Even with a balanced diet, it's difficult to cover all of your nutritional bases. And that's where Athletic Greens will help. Their daily drink is like a nutritional insurance for your body that's delivered straight to your door. It has a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food source ingredients. Like, I mean, I eat a lot of vegetables and I think I'm getting all of the things I need, but when I really think about it, sometimes I'm probably only having like one serving of veggies a day, like on a bad day. And I need that extra boost and I need the extra probiotics for the digestive enzymes. I find myself way more regular, just, just feeling so much better after my daily regimen of drinking athletic greens. I respect that regimen in the morning. I really feel good about waking up. It's the first thing I do. 
I make my little athletic greens drink and I'm also getting eight to 12 ounces of water like right away in the morning. It just makes me feel so good and it tastes good. Now this blew my mind. So um, I'm actually in Colorado right now and my boyfriend and his dad are remodeling um, a house right now and his dad keeps having leg cramps from uh, just being dehydrated in the sun and working hard and he notoriously hates green things doesn't like vegetables whatever but I convinced him to drink this for his leg cramps and he actually said it tasted good and he feels a hundred percent better so athletic greens was developed with the best in mind and actually has become part of the daily regimen for thousands of high performers and athletes worldwide I honestly just I feel better after some sometimes I'll drink it twice a day when I've worked out hard I just feel better almost instantly afterwards and I feel like I have a clearer mind more energy, more focus, um, and I think you guys should try them. So whether you're looking to boost your energy levels, support your immune system, or address gut health, now is the perfect time to try Athletic Greens for yourself. Simply visit athleticgreens.com slash be here to claim my special offer today and receive the free D3 K2 wellness bundle with your first purchase. That's up to a one-year supply of vitamin D as added value when you try their delicious and comprehensive daily all-in-one drink. That's amazing. You'd be hard-pressed to find a more comprehensive nutritional bundle anywhere else. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash be here. I also think, you know, going back to what you were saying when, um, you know, that when she went missing and then you were partying, I mean, when you listen back to his justifications for everything and why he was always so concerned about your sister. And I think you do a really good job on your podcast of like humbling yourself being like, I partied way more than her. Like I was a way worse kid. Like, but your, your dad is like so hyper-focused on, I mean, if I hear him say marijuana or whatever, one more time, like, like he's so hyper-focused on like the, small-ish things in retrospect that she did that it's so weird to me that he that you were allowed to just do whatever the heck you wanted yeah I mean it's obviously a huge point to look at how Alyssa and I were uh, treated so differently Mm -hmm. it wasn't just an overall parenting style that he was against these things it was specifically targeted at Alyssa you know even like the surveillance the hidden camera in our living room vent he took that down after Alyssa was gone because I asked him to I said well you know Alyssa's not here for you to watch anymore so are you going to take that down and he absolutely did but you know to your point when Alyssa was 17 she was signing contracts stating that she wouldn't go out after 9 p.m. Um, you know, that she wasn't allowed to do A, B, and C. She wasn't really allowed to have this boyfriend. You know, my father fought with her about it all the time, fought with mm-hmm. her about having this job, staying out late, every single thing. And when I'm 17, my boyfriend moves into my master bedroom with me in his house. He buys me a mini fridge and fills it with beer. It's just two totally different experiences. So when I found out how Alyssa was really treated, Mm -hmm. you know, especially just reflecting back as an adult and learning new facts, it was really, really astonishing to me. I didn't realize how different it really was. Yeah. Do you feel like uh, it's, someone said it at some point in the podcast, um, but do you, do you feel this way that he was almost treating her like a girlfriend, like he was controlling her like a controlling boyfriend treats like like in a really bad relationship between two consenting adults which obviously that's not what it was but that it's almost like he was treating her like yeah like a controlling bad obsessive boyfriend 
Yeah, that's exactly how it feels to me. You know, tons of people have said it. Um, you know, even witnesses that the police interviewed have described their relationship that way. Even people that um, worked at Alyssa's ex, you know, her former school said the same thing, but that's really how it felt. Um, you know, the expectations for her were just totally different and, and kind of odd. And on top of that, you know, one thing I always point to is in this 2017 conversation I have with my father, he literally still brings up the fact that Alyssa's boyfriend had a like crappy truck. Like he's like, oh, not that his piece of shit truck could work anyway. And it's oh, like, you're really, talking like about he's like, jealous. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sorry, this kid is like 17. It's probably his first vehicle. And you are now in your late sixties and you're still bringing this up like almost 15 years later or whatever. Um, wow. That, that, I yes. didn't think about that. That is, that is really, that's very creepy, very telling. Like, oh, well, he's not as cool as me. I had all this other stuff. Like, yeah. Well, and I, there's ahead. so many things. Sorry. No, there's so many things. Like even just the way he talks about her being promiscuous, like you guys don't remember all the stupid shit Alyssa had to do, you know, that Alyssa was doing, um, you know, I, she wanted to run around just like her mom and be promiscuous and get tattoos and piercings. Like it, yeah, it, it's, I've heard he this type of language one before. Point, yeah. But who, who did he say it to where he was like, well, she's just going to be one of those girls. It's like, like good in bed or great at sex and then just gets pregnant, which who, who talks about their, like at a certain point, it's like, do you not realize what's coming out of your mouth? You sound weird. <laughs> Exactly. I don't remember exactly who that conversation was with, but it's from one of the transcripts that he mm -hmm. had. Um, there was a recording of it from our home phone recording system or whatever. But yeah, he talked about her often like that, which was really gross. Like she gives good sex or she's going to be someone who mm -hmm. gives good sex. She's a natural born housewife. He called her a bitch. He's called her a slut. Like, again, just kind of like you're talking to some guy or person who doesn't like their ex significant other. It's just really gross. Mm hmm. I also found it very strange. And I wrote this in my notes when, um, when he keeps like blaming Paul Abbott, which I have another note of, uh, about that, but he says to someone, or it's my, it might just be in the transcripts. Yeah. Um, uh, she was always attracted to the tattooed piercing guys. Like that's who she'd go. She is, is attracted to them. I'm pretty sure my dad could, would not know what I was attracted to. Like, I don't think, or would ever say anything like that. Like, I don't, how does he know that? Or is he just jealous again of like, I'll never be the tattooed piercing guy? Yeah. I mean, and to be fair, I can't point to any other person that Alyssa liked that looked like that, to be honest. Like, I'm trying to think like maybe like Eminem to a certain extent she was really into or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's not as if Alyssa's bedroom was adorned with pictures of men with tattoos and piercings. Mm -hmm. um, I think, like you said, he felt specifically targeted or offended by this one particular person that she was showing interest in, which come on, like you're 17, you work at Jack and Box, you think that there's a hot guy that works at your school with tattoos and piercings. That's not abnormal. That's not a no. sign of a girl who is like, especially promiscuous or anything like that. Yeah. Well, and additionally, like it would be, if she was promiscuous, it would be incredibly understandable because that is often a sign of a child that had been sexually abused. Like people always talk about like Marilyn Monroe, like, oh, she was so sexual. She always wanted, no, she was sexually abused as a child. So that's how she knew how to interact with people. Like that is a symptom and what comes after that. Like, I think most people know that. I'm sure your dad probably, maybe he didn't know it because maybe he really did think like in his in a sick way and the way people can justify things that maybe it somehow was consensual or something. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a possibility. It's just, it's so gross. And there are so many different things I can point to um, that lead me to believe that Alyssa was really over-sexualized as a child. I mean, she at nine years old, she went and told her teacher, I'm having sex with my dad. She was, you know, using uh, adult language, you know, like perverted and masturbation and things like that when we were really young and I didn't know what it meant. Um, but yeah, I do think that she was really, really over-sexualized. Mm-hmm. Why didn't that teacher say anything? That was the one that was dating your dad? Yeah. I mean, I read her police report and it was something like, you know, she just believed that Alyssa was telling a story that she went and talked to her dad about it. And overall, she just didn't believe it. Um, You know, I think that she was really regretful. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's definitely a a miss in this case. I really wish she would have had, would have reported it, obviously. Yeah, I guess it's, it's hard to think like, okay, what would I do in that scenario? I'd like to think like, of course, I would be like something really bad is going on here. But Maybe people just, they don't want to talk about the incredibly uncomfortable stuff, so they just pretend like it's, oh, that's just that kid saying that or something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to say. I would think that as a teacher, she would have had experience in knowing, you know, what kids yeah. say and lies versus not lies and what's serious what versus what's not serious. But my father is extremely charming, manipulative, and intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I really don't put it past him for being able to talk his way out of that. Do you know what I feel like he does? Because I I don't personally, when I listen to him talk, I don't find him, he's manipulative for sure, but I don't find him charming or intelligent. No offense. I know he's your dad. I I think you are extremely intelligent. I can just tell that. And I have other notes about that. But uh, I find him to use the same tactic over and over again, which I've always saw as a bad red flag of people like I've had a few bad boyfriends that would use a tactic like this where they kind of just try to confuse you if that makes sense so when you confronted him at the Starbucks you would ask him a question he would then repeat it like he didn't hear it properly or be like who me what and then like say so many other filler words that at that point the person that's asking the question is probably like what like I'm now I'm already confused you're not answering it and then there's a specific time where you said, I didn't know that you um, p- um, picked her up from school early that day. Why didn't I know that? And he goes, you didn't or something. And then he goes, I must have picked you up early one day. There was a barber shop. And then you just start saying all these other things. And at that point, you're just like, now I'm just confused. I, like, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't necessarily think it's, it's just a, we- I think it's just a weird tactic to throw people off their game when they're on to you. Yeah. And that's a fair point. No, I, I don't disagree with your analysis. Um, for me, it's hard, right? Because I, I grew up having these conversations with him, not necessarily about Alyssa, but he would use these same tactics all the time. I would see it at the grocery store with him telling, you know, a clerk about Vietnam. They'd be like, well, what about this, sir? And he'd be like, no, you don't even know, like campaign finance money and how corrupt the government is. And like, it just go off the rails. Then really um, that describes him perfectly. I feel like that's what he does. The Clintons are, were involved in this, and you're like, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, that's exactly what he would do. And you know, I think maybe he's not employing all of his intelligence in that specific um, situation. But you know, in a general sense, I do believe that he was extremely charming and, and manipulative. It just depends on the person. But I think by the yeah. time you hear that conversation in the podcast, you're ready for it. You're like yeah. so over it. You're ready for the bullshit and you're ready for him to circumvent the topic. Um, but yeah, I think when you're caught off guard, you're just like, whoa, like what is this? And how does he react? Because he will do that. Mm-hmm. You know, the Clintons in 1993 and then this in Vietnam in 1964. And you're, you're like, okay, 
sir. Um, I agree with you. Have a great day. Yeah. You're like, I need a nap now. Like this was, I regret even talking to you. Yeah. Um, it's bad that we're laughing, but I, I also do find uh, humor and pain. Uh, it's a laughable situation. He is yeah. laughable. I will say yes, he is. Uh, but when it comes to, I guess, I thought about it because I've thought a lot about like, okay, he, he, is he intelligent or is he just, does he just have this unbelievable ability to not ever stop talking? Um, but I guess it, 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 if he did allegedly, um, it's very difficult to say to your face, kill your sister. Very sorry. Um, he did cover, but minus, minus the way he speaks. And I think that detective um, who said the reason why I thought your dad was guilty is just by talking to him. Um, besides that, which I completely agree with, he did seem to know maybe from his time in law enforcement, how exactly to get away with something like that whole duplicate truck thing. Yeah. Can you explain that? Like, how did he pull that off? And how quickly afterwards, just explain the whole, cause I don't know that all my listeners have listened to every episode. Yeah. So what happened was my father essentially had this truck. It didn't have that many miles on it, whatever. It was fairly new. And a few months after Alyssa goes missing, he sells it, but he replaces it with a nearly identical truck and tells no one. Um, so you so didn't know he sold it. Like you didn't see like a for sale sign on it. You didn't ever know that he went to go trade it in at a dealership or anything. No, I had absolutely no idea, no idea that it was replaced with this nearly identical truck. I didn't find out until just a few years ago from one of the detectives that was on the case. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of really odd instances like that, you know, him buying concrete and lime um, before Alyssa goes missing. There's just so many small clues, um, you know, that are really suspicious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, when you confronted him about it, he was like, oh, that's a new one to me. Wish I had the truck now. Like, okay, deflecting majorly. Um, I think it was, I think we couldn't hear the part about the lime because that was before you'd readjusted your phone. What was his reasoning for buying lime and, and what did you, he just launched into it or did you say, dad, why did you buy lime before she died? So he just launched into it. This is unprompted. He's like, yeah. And so they saw me with Lyme. And I, I forget if it's Lyme or lie, what, exactly what he references, mm -hmm. but they're pretty much the, the same thing in terms of disposing of a body. Um, but he, he just launches into it. Like, you know, somebody said I had Lyme in the back of my truck. So I always had Lyme. Remember when you ants at your house and I told you to use that like okay but not like 50 pounds of it like that's kind of a lot for someone who is renting a home with no agriculture and no animals and no land to use it on like why do you have 50 pounds of lime or whatever for you know ants mm -hmm. do you believe your dad what because because even besides the um the surveillance of Alyssa um but I guess it was partially the way he was raised if his dad did the call recording and stuff. Um, but do you feel like your was your dad ever diagnosed with a specific mental illness that would involve paranoia and stuff? Yeah, he was. It was definitely known, you know, to a psychiatrist and whatnot that he was paranoid. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that was evident to anyone. But I think, you know, so many people, including myself, just kind of attributed that to him being on for an ex-military. You know what I mean? stories about being law enforcement tell those stories about um being in the so military he was paranoid, thought, yeah like you just figured it was like law enforcement vietnam time 
yeah, yeah, I know. I could just attribute paranoia to his time in law enforcement and being in the military. It made sense to me, you know, him being quirky like that. And I would hear about stories like Agent Orange happening in Vietnam, which is a real thing. You know what I mean? Some of the conspiracies he talked about were real, um, mm-hmm. not things they made up at the end. So it was really hard to decipher what was real and what wasn't, you know, what was coming out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. But then again, he didn't go to Vietnam, correct? Correct. But I didn't know that until his bomb case, till he went to trial and he was like, no, ma'am, I was never in Vietnam. And then my head exploded into a million different pieces because I couldn't believe it. I wonder how people who lie like that keep up with their lies. Like, do you write it down to make sure that you say, because even like your dad's various stories of, you know, going with a green beret, kicking down doors to look for Alyssa, that she ran off with this person, that like all the different things he told people, like, did he think no one was ever going to, you know, cross stories or just chat? Like, yeah, I mean, I think that's where ego comes in, right? Yeah, I don't think he ever thought he was going to get caught. I thought, or I think, you know, he just thinks that um, it's never going to come. He's too smart. He's too charming. There's no people are going figure it out um but yeah you can definitely point things against each other okay you said this here and you said that here what's going on and then you'll have that wonderful circumvent the topic conversation Mm -hmm. that he loves to have I think you're 100% right when you say ego and I think when people get away with something for so long it's like um serial killers for example they usually get caught when they start thinking that they'll never be caught so they get sloppy because they're like, oh, I've gotten away for so long. Like the ego, no matter what, it's going to catch up to you. And I think that that is like, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. He probably just was like, I'm the smartest person in the room, obviously. Like, you yeah. Know. Well, killers get recreate that thrill, which, you know, when you can't go out there and kill the same person again, that is visiting the, the site, that is having conversations about it, defending yourself, leaving mm-hmm. weird little clues, like I'll tell you at the deathbed, or I'll tell you if the state agrees to give me lethal injection within 10 days. For me, I see that as a form of excitement for him because he is basically taunting me at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, you guys kind of know, but you'll never really know. Like it's, yeah, it's just gross and really it's egotistical. Like and I think he's bored. Yeah. 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 I like that you called him out for taunting you during that talk where it's like, like, why are you talking to me like that? Um, I would say one of the creepiest parts of your talk with him was when he literally maniacally laughs after you say, you, you, you can Google it. My mom filed a domestic abuse charge against you. I mean, he can't stop himself from laughing. It's like, it's the funniest joke he's ever heard. It, it was so disturbing to hear, like, and so obviously, like, how did you feel in that moment? Um, upset. I felt like just again, like more of the taunting, like that he was just purposely um, trying to get a rise out of me, purposely being disrespectful to both my mother and Alyssa and just being a genuinely awful human being. I just didn't understand, you know, especially he in the beginning of this conversation is like, oh, you know, this isn't the way to start a relationship with me again. And, you know, by the end, he's taunting me and laughing at me maniacally, like you said. Um, So, yeah, I just thought it was really hurtful and disrespectful and uncalled for. Wow. I didn't pick up on that first, first, what you just said in the beginning part of the podcast where he was like, this isn't like he basically taunted or in a weird way, like threatened you like this isn't how you're like, so you're not going to have a relationship with me if you question me. 
Uh, yeah. And I mean, by the way, wow. he even says like, you know, I think maybe I sh shouldn't see any of my kids. I think that's probably the best course of action. I'm like, okay, bye. Maybe we'll talk again. Like, I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. That was his little victim thing. Like, I don't, yeah, I never, I never thought my, none of my kids were like, I guess it's just better for you guys. Like, was he expecting that you're going to be like, no dad, please, please <laughs> like be close. Please, to me. I, I will have more trauma. Please yeah. come back. <laughs> I need more trauma in my life. Like, no, like it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it just points to the fact that he very much, in my opinion, has to either be the hero or the victim. There is no in between. There really oh, isn't. That's a very good analysis. Yeah. It's all very dramatic. It's, mm -hmm. Yeah, life's just not one normal thing. And he's all, yeah. And he does seem very comfortable with like a 1993, like I, I snapped after your mom died. First of all, you're the adult. Your kids lost their mom. They don't need to be the adult for you. And it seemed like you guys both had to be. Like when he, I mean, I just, cause I re-listened to those two episodes again um, where you confront him. And I never picked up on the part where he was like, yeah, Alyssa was the only one that cared about me. She would notice that I was staring at the wall and watching the same movie over and over again. And she'd give me a hug and ask me if I needed anything. And you were like, yeah, I also had to deliver food to your bed because you were like not getting out of bed. Like, yeah, I didn't realize, but me and Alyssa did very much serve the same type of, um, purpose in the household, you know, at different points in our life. After our mom was gone, Alyssa was cooking the meals and cleaning the house and taking on, you know, I guess those motherly responsibilities, if you will. She was creating my birthdays for me and holidays. And after she was gone, you know, you can hear in the podcast, I have that first Christmas without her where my dad's basically like, I'm not putting up a tree. I don't care about life anymore. If you, you know, I wrap my own Christmas presents and stuff. And ever since then, I, I did the same thing. I would set up Christmas. I learned how to make Thanksgiving dinner really, really quick. It's like the first thing I cooked when I was 12 or whatever. I was like, I guess I want Thanksgiving. I'll just cook it. Um, but I imagine, you know, and from what I remember, it seems like Alyssa went through pretty much the same thing. If you want any type of semblance of family or normality when it comes to these occasions, you got to do it yourself because you're the woman and that's your job is, mm -hmm. is how it felt. You just outright refused. Yeah. Um, this is going to be a, an uncomfortable question, um, and if if you don't want me, I can delete it or edit it out. Um, do you feel it's possible that your dad may have abused any other children, sexually abused any other children? Um, you know, there's the clips in the home video where he keeps calling young girls pretty and stuff. Um, do you have any other evidence that maybe that happened? As far as I know, I don't have any stories of him doing it directly. Mm -hmm. I do have, you know, I interview my cousin in the podcast where she talks about an uncomfortable situation with him where he tries to massage her shoulders, but I don't know. I don't know. I have a lot of reports of him abusing adult women, mm -hmm. but, um, you know, I, I can't come on here and say that I do have direct evidence of him abusing younger children. Do I think that he thought about it? I think it's really possible, you know, with mm -hmm. his abuse of Alyssa and, you know, just these recordings going back so far of, hey, you're really pretty. You're really mm -hmm. pretty in the 1970s to these girls who are like six and seven. It's all just really creepy. Um, mm -hmm. But no, I, I don't have any direct evidence to to believe that. That must be a really weird feeling. I can't even imagine to, to think like, oh, my, my dad was very creepy. Like, that's just got to be like, and, and to, to find out so much later in life too, to be like, oh, I didn't know this whole time that, you know, he, do you, do you feel like, I think this sexual part of it's so confusing because he, he did uh, abuse adult women as well. I mean, he, he's definitely, if he did abuse your sister, which I believe he did, 
he would he's obviously a pedophile for that but like that might not have been his sole sexual attraction it may have been just uh i think you said like he he was attracted to maybe things he couldn't have like married women and stuff yeah it's taboo type of types of things yeah, I believe that fully. You know, it, it came down to it being like one of my brother's friends, um, another one of my brother's friends. It was oh, often, female friends. Yeah, oh, yeah. Wow. It was often like sisters-in-law and things mm-hmm. like that. Um, but when it came to Alyssa, I, you know, here is what I think happened. In my opinion, you know, he was abusing Alyssa for a long time. She went and told her teacher she was having sex with dad. I believe. But my dad never dated after that. He broke up with that teacher, with that girlfriend, and they he never dated again. Mm-hmm. So I believe that he was put in this position where he knew that if he was to have any type of normal functioning um, relationship with another female, that she would come in the house, come close and, you know, um, develop relationships with us. And the same thing would happen again, that Alyssa mm-hmm. would possibly go to that woman and say, I'm having sex with my dad. So he's left in this position where he's not able to have another sexual partner. And it only leaves Alyssa who, as she's getting older, looks more like our mother who he is obsessed with by all completely obsessed with my mother to oh, this right. day. I mean, as of a few years ago, at least when I spoke with him, you know, seeing apparitions of her goat and, mm-hmm. you know, continually saying it's the only woman that ever loved me. So I think it kind of grew there, if that makes sense. It, say that again. Sorry, it cut out. You think it's kind of what? I think it just kind of grew from there, grew if from that there. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that does. And maybe perhaps the reason why uh, you weren't abused by him is just that, you were a biological. I mean, I think the detective said that because you were like, he never touched me. And, you're, and he's like, well, do you think maybe it's because maybe incest was one step too far for your dad, but not, yeah, you know, I, I could see that for sure. The biological factor. And also, you know, if he were to do that to me, that would then be two of his children that could go to the authorities mm-hmm. or go to someone else and say this as opposed to one child and specifically the wild, you know, child, like, like he tried to portray be. Um, it would be a lot more credible, as terrible as that sounds, coming from mm-hmm. me because I was always the child that was so level-headed and smart and did the right things. It's coming mm-hmm. from both of his kids, then he's really screwed, mm-hmm. opposed to it just coming from this, you know, crazy rebellious teacher. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think. I didn't think about that part. That that makes a lot of sense. That yeah, you guys could team up and and take care of each other in that way. I thought it was really telling as well, like if your dad is so smart, he knows um, that children often don't come forward with their uh, sexual abuse. They're afraid, they're ashamed, they don't even understand it. And when you're talking to your dad at the Starbucks, when he says, don't you think if I was molesting Alyssa, she would let, do you really think she would let me do that? Like she was probably like not, I mean, young, really young. like you think a nine-year-old even knows what that is? Like, but like, that's his rationale of like, do you think she'd really let me? That's right. And that's why we hear these stories about her fighting back. Cause I think mm-hmm. she really tried she to the older. best of her ability. Exactly. Yeah. But she's like living captive with this man who's, you know, supposedly abusing her for her whole life. What is she supposed to do? This is what she knows every single day. And mm-hmm. she knows that she has to stay quiet to stay safe, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine that's probably what her mindset was like. Mm-hmm. And eventually that trauma just sort of rewires your brain. It's like, well, I, do, I need to do this to survive or I need to, and I, or, or additionally, maybe she had no way of knowing if 
you were also being abused and maybe she, cause I, I've, I've heard this a lot in these cases where one sibling feels like, well, I'll just take it because I'm the older one and I don't want my little sister to be, so this is my way of protecting my little sister or something. Yeah. And I mean, from conversations with her friends, it feels very much like that, that she mm-hmm. wanted to leave the house, but wouldn't leave me behind, mm-hmm. that she wanted to turn 18, move out and then take me with her, mm-hmm. um, which was a really the option. I mean, our dad tried to give us away left. So I don't see why he wouldn't just give me away to Alyssa to be a thousand percent honest. Really? Well, why he, when did he try to give you guys away? Um, so he would try try to give us away to different family members, different friends and whatnot. He asked multiple people to take Alyssa, multiple people to take me. And I, it just was constant. Um, you know, he said that we were bad kids and that um, he just shouldn't be a dad anymore. You know, this situation and the uh, conversation changed all the time, just like everything else in this story. But it was constant throughout our lives. You know, even after Alyssa was gone, he sent me on this big trip to go see my brother in New York and tried to get me to go live with him too. Like he just, I don't, I don't know. I think he was just done being a parent. Um, but yeah, it's hard to say exactly what was going through his mind. Yeah. I guess that surprises me a little bit that he would try to give Alyssa away if he was so obsessed with her, but maybe he knew this is only going to go down in a bad way as she gets older, meaning like she's being more vocal about it and I can't date other people because what if she gets close to them and says something? So maybe just get rid of her or get, get send her away so that he can just forget that it happened and maybe start another dating type of life. It's possible. Yeah. And I mean, as much as I don't want to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe he was in a way trying to protect Alyssa, knowing that he could not, um, you know, I guess, get over these he had or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I say that because even, you know, after Alyssa was gone, he moved me into the master bedroom and said that he did that so that I wouldn't be walking around the house in a towel after having a bath. So that way I would have my own bathroom and no one would call thinking that something was going on. So I don't know if he was trying to eliminate as much temptation as possible or mm-hmm. what was going through his head. Um, I, I, I was mean, very I curious forever. about what, yeah, what, what was the reason to get, so did he move out of the master bedroom and moved you into it? Yeah, exactly. He literally moved into my old, you know, tiny bedroom or whatever, and then moved me into the master bedroom with the bathroom. I wonder if you're right. I wonder if it was to eliminate. So I couldn't, I couldn't figure that out in the podcast. I was like, why would he do that? Like, I thought maybe it was to like spoil you after he knew he took your sister from you, but maybe you're right. Maybe it was like to avoid. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he just told me for the CPS factor. That's why he wanted me in the master bathroom. Okay. So the bathroom, we have to go into that because I actually, I, so I have a few towards the end. I'll ask them, but I have um, some listener questions and one of the people that reached out is I think was she a psychologist in and I asked her like right before we recorded um what is she a psychologist in what um PhD level researcher in domestic and sexual violence and trauma okay so she's somewhat of an expert yeah she's qualified yeah so I was trying to google like right before we podcasted like is there another term besides gaslighting for what your dad did when he preemptively called CPS to be like hey if my daughter calls you and says that I'm molesting you it's because she just was mad that I wouldn't give her a truck like I was like what 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 is that psychological thing so I asked her and she said and what I actually did find that gaslighting is the best uh description for that and Mm -hmm. And what I found too, like, cause I thought that maybe gaslighting was just, mm, 
you accuse someone of doing what you're doing. Does that make sense? Sure. But, yeah. but they literally, this in psychology today, one of the first things it says is gaslighting is a preemptive strike. So, so let's say it says the gaslighter is cheating. They're planning, you know, planning all this stuff to keep you off kilter. They start accusing you of cheating or, uh, it's, 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 I mean, that's different, but like, I think it was, I guess it is gaslighting where it's just like, let me just plant this seed. But these people, I think that they, they, they know how to spot signs of guilt. Like I felt like the recordings with the people that he called from CPS, they were, or was it the police? who was he calling when he was like hey who do I uh call when my kid's incorrigible or whatever so he called both um specifically incorrigible and the bisexual thing was the police he was trying to get her arrested for being bisexual see see, this is where I get this is where I have to say really he's not smart like you know in 2000 whatever that people are not getting arrested for being bisexual I mean people are still treated poorly for it but it's not illegal that's fair. I mean, he does ask multiple times, which astounds me as if maybe he's trying to convince this officer that it's the right thing to do, that he really does need to come down here and arrest this, you know, 16, 17 year old for having a sexual preference. And, and literally the officer, the uh, operator is pretty much like, that's, that's not illegal. And well, yeah. maybe you can call back tomorrow. They seem very much like, please stop talking, sir. Okay. That's the general reaction to him um, that I've seen my whole life, no matter who it is. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I feel like that one was such a miss. Like as much as it was funny to read that transcript because it is so insane and the officer is literally like, sir, this is the year 2000. Like, no, that mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Like, honestly, like why didn't they send someone to the house is my first thought is like, yeah. eh, maybe they should have checked that out. This guy seems a little crazy. He's calling multiple times. It seems a little fishy. Maybe... Maybe we should ask him to come down and, you know, make a report or something. Mm-hmm. I I feel like it's one of those instances, both with Child Protective Services and the police, that they knew. They knew what mm-hmm. was going on. Like, any any person could have chosen to, you know, explore this further, and they didn't. Like, I do, think it was a huge miss. Do you know what I find um, disappointing about that, but also very real, is we think, okay, it's it's this person's job to protect children, Right. Or it's this surgeon's job to be on his A-game and not come in hungover uh, or shaky. Or it's this person who I'm looking to for authority. But then you think at the end of the day, for every single person, whether you're a pilot or a surgeon or a social worker, a job's a job. And sometimes you just don't feel like doing it. And that's really yeah. sad. Like, But that's it's sad to think you think you're being protected by these things. But like, no, you pretty much have to do the legwork yourself. Like you got to like make sure and follow up, which is exactly what you're doing, which is frustrating, very frustrating. Yeah. I mean, and that's fair to say. I always think, you know, when I, when I look back on Alyssa's case, it just seems like the perfect storm of people not following up on it. You know what I mean? The school, child protective services, the police, everything in between, it's just this perfect storm of nothing being done. And it's hard. I try not to place blame on any one person. Um, But yeah, I do feel this, this sense of needing to finish this for her, of course, you know, Mm -hmm. she would have done it for me. I feel like it's really the only option at this point. Mm -hmm. I think it was really cool how you went in, um, in that last uh, meeting with the police. Um, and it seemed like that woman was not very prepared even to talk to you. I will say that. Wasn't even, seemed, didn't even seem to totally know the case. Um, yeah. But I thought it was really cool how you were like, 
I have my facts. I'm going to just say this. And like, you were like, I think you said, like, I'm not just going to start breaking down and start crying anymore out of frustration. Yeah, I do think I said something to that effect. I mean, I was at my breaking point during that meeting. Like I had sat through every other meeting with them and almost said nothing, just, you know, gathered facts, cried in their offices time and time again. And by this point, I had been researching the case myself. I knew a lot more than I did from years prior, and I don't think they were ready for it. I had everything ready to go. And yeah, I do say to her her at a certain point, like, I'm not going to go round and round with you. Our emails are public record, and that's fine with me. Um, Because I know that she's lying. And I know that when you tell a police officer to their face that they're lying, they are not going to say, my mistake, ma'am, you're exactly right. Let me fix that. They're going to say, no, I'm not. Um, They're going to defend themselves. They're going to defend their department. And I even say that like um I, I say something to the effect of like they're showboating and they're they're not doing anything about Alyssa um and they're like I'm like you're never going to say that though you're never going to admit what I want you to admit so it's fine let's just move on um because mm-hmm. I, I know their game and I get it um they're not allowed to be real human beings and I think it's a a real shame I think there's an opportunity for them to come forward and say maybe we didn't do the the right thing then but we want to do the right thing now as mm-hmm. opposed to just hiding in the shadows and then giving these vague statements to media that make them look good. Mm-hmm. I think it was really funny that you threatened a couple of times, like, well, I guess you'll find out like how you look on Netflix when this comes out. <laughs> I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that was real. When I told them about that, I um, was approached by a media company that wanted to pe- uh, pitch it to Netflix. And it was like, I was not lying. I was mm-hmm. not lying at all in that conversation. By now, you've probably heard me talk about pros, the world's most personalized hair care. Well, I want to share a few updates since using the custom formulas pros sent me. Spoiler alert, it's the real deal. I'm noticing my hair is shinier. It is stronger. It is not breaking as easily. And because they have this amazing quiz that you take, it knows exactly with your hair type where you live. It literally takes into account your zip code, the the environment, the pollution, um, your daily habits. It knew my hair really lacks body. Like if I, if I let my hair air dry, it air dries completely straight. It just doesn't have any body at all. And so the formula they gave me, it's perfect. It's not weighed. The conditioner is not too heavy for my type of hair. So it's always bouncy and shiny and beautiful. And pros knows there's more to you than just your hair type. Pros is given over 1 million consultations with their in-depth hair quiz. And that's how I got started. I actually love taking those kinds of quizzes, but I was so surprised at how comprehensive it was. Like again, even down to do you exercise outside? I was like, yes, your eating habits. With their algorithm and over 50 billion formula combinations, Pros determines a unique blend of ingredients to treat your, treat your exact concerns. Pros also has a review and refine feature. It lets me tweak my formulas for any reason, like change of address, hair color, or my diet. That reminds me, I need to ch- update my address on there. I'm excited. So if you're not 100% positive, Pros is the best hair care you've had. They will take the products back, no questions asked. But I promise you, you are going to fall in love with Pros. Pros is a healthy hair regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair quiz and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash be here. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash be here for your free in-depth hair quiz and 15% off. Okay, so another thing that I really want to cover on this that I think is um, a major part of your dad's kind of preemptive gaslighting, covering his tracks, is consistently calling your sister stupid, 
uh, that she had a learning disability, uh, that she had a short-term memory problem. Like the amount of times he said that made me want to scream. And they're not, she didn't have anything like, uh, who's, is it your, is it your brother, John or James is real dad that he spoke to who, who kind of like called him out. Who is that person again? My brother, John's biological father. Yeah. Even he was like, yeah, ADD is not that serious. I know a lot of people with ADD. Like, wh- what are you talking about? Your dad was like, she's got the ADD. She doesn't know she can't read a map or a bus schedule or a, like, tell me a little bit about that growing up. Did you just believe like, wow, my sister just might be stupid. Or did you kind of pick up on the fact that like, this seems a little bit shoved down everyone's throat. So I think as a child, I learned to ignore my father in a large way. I mean, just being totally honest, he was so annoying and kept going over the same points again and again to the point where I would just ignore him. Um, I thought Alyssa had ADD. Yeah. I thought that, um, you know, there was something that made it so she had a bad memory and wasn't, uh, you know, very good at tests. But at the same time, I would even tell Alyssa like, wow, your memory is actually better than mine. Um, So I think I was conflicted, but just didn't know it. I think I was just so brainwashed to believe that Alyssa had ADD and was easily talked into things and but was that, being that, talked into things. That's not even a things. symptom of ADD, is it? No, it's not. No, no, no. When you look at, you know, what ADD actually is, and I am no expert, mm-hmm. but I have been told left and right um, that that is most likely not what Alyssa had. Um, she most likely didn't have anything. Like she was she- never formally diagnosed. Like this was all just from my father. And I think it was just a way of keeping her down, making her feel like she would never be able to do anything on her own, which is what he told her. You know what I mean? Like, Uh, honey, you better just go to beauty college because that's probably all you're ever going to be able to do. I see. So I was thinking it was a way to let everyone know, hey, if something happens to her, it's probably because she was easily to cover up his tracks for, but that you make a really good point. It probably was additionally, and maybe even more importantly, to keep her down. So she thought like, I can't do anything by myself. I'm just not good enough or smart. I didn't, wow, I didn't think about that. That is probably definitely what that was. Yeah, I think it's both. I really do think it's both so that people would be like, oh, look at this, you know, crazy kid who's easily talked into things because of her ADD. Like it it makes sense that, you know, she would be a victim of a really horrible crime that we don't know what it is. Um, I think that's definitely part of, you know, um, his reasoning also for being so controlling. You know, of course I had to watch Alyssa. Mm-hmm. She was leaving her work with guys and telling me that she was working an extra hour, which I'm sorry. Like that is such a normal teenage thing to do like yeah yeah, I'm going to my friend you know Marissa's and you're really at a boy's house or whatever like yeah tell me that's not normal tell me that is actually a symptom of anything um I snuck out my bedroom window definitely said I was staying at a friend's house and they said they were staying at mine and we were at a party instead like that's just called being a teen like that's I mean that's not an extreme version of like, and I wasn't even a rebellious kid, but like, yeah, of course you do a couple things like that. Like, it doesn't mean like, the other thing that I found like where I related it to, like, I feel like you're, um, in terms of like siblings, I have one sister, um, you have one sister and all brothers, right? Yes. I had one sister or yeah. Technically two sisters. If we want to talk about the sister I didn't know about. Right. I mean, that's always a thing. Put a pin in that. Maybe didn't know that one. (laughs) Hold on. Wow. Um, So um, I was going to say, it reminded me of like, so you, I think you mentioned in there and like, and I can just tell you're very smart. 
I think school was probably easy for you. Like, and, and the, even like you went to college and you were like the top of your class or whatever, like, you know, after whatever. similar to me, school was very easy for me. Very, very easy for me. My sister, not very easy for her. She was just not that great at school. I think she's like a little bit dyslexic and whatever. My sister's an incredibly successful businesswoman now. Incredible. It doesn't mean anything. Like being, I mean, she's monetarily far more successful than I am. Was I better at school? Yeah, I was really, but like, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Like, but your dad, you're right. He probably did it to like make her feel stupid. Like, well, you, you didn't do good on that test. Like they actually say like C and B students end up being more successful than A students in life. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, Alyssa got decent grades. It's not as if she was failing out of every single, you know, class and every year being held back. Like that never happened. Um, and I understand a parent putting an emphasis on education, but yeah, what he was saying about her did not reflect what she was doing in school. And even if she, you know, wasn't that great at school or didn't care it is not an indication of how she's going to do in the future, especially, mm -hmm. you know, in today's day and age, um, you know, degrees just mean less and less. Mm -hmm. But even the way too, the way he would harp on it after she went missing was like, it just seems so guilty. Let me just tell you how dumb she was like, how like any guy could have gotten her to go do anything like because of that ADD and explain the other si sibling thing. So when the police came and raided the home, they had this meeting with me um, while it was happening. And one of the things they told me, in addition to, you know, telling the whole story of my family and how all things kind of lead to our father was that um, I have, you know, this sister I never knew about from his second wife. So my mother was his third wife. Um, mm -hmm. So from his second wife, there was allegedly this child, this girl that was born. And um, when the woman came after my father for child support, he said, you can do that, but I'm going to get custody of that kid. And you're never going to see her again. And that mm -hmm. woman got scared and didn't go forward with trying to fight for, you know, any type of um, child support or anything like that. So have yeah, you that's ever why. been able to contact that, that sibling? I've tried. Um, it doesn't seem like they're interested in having a relationship with me, which to be fair, like if you find out yeah. that's who your dad is, like I may stay away too. Yeah. It might be a little dark right now. How old would they be? Uh, I have to think back. So a few years older than Alyssa, I believe. Oh, so sure. Yes. Like a full on adult. Yeah. I'm kind of like a hygiene freak. Like I need to smell good. It makes me feel good. I'm a, like, I like, you know, I like to, my smell improves my mood. So if I feel clean and like I can get a whiff of my delicious native deodorant, it like brightens my mood. Native deodorant is the deodorant that is not only natural and healthy and doesn't contain all these things that are horrible for you, but it smells decadent. It's literally like almost like a high-end perfume, but not like the stinky ones, like a really natural, beautiful cherry blossom type of scent. Or so... Native deodorant doesn't just block odor, though. It's made better. Native has ingredients you've heard of, like coconut oil, shea butter, and tapioca starch. It's also vegan and has never been tested on animals. So you know that aluminum forms a plug in your sweat glands to keep you from sweating. That's why Native never uses ingredients like aluminum, parabens, sulfates, or talc. Switching to an aluminum-free deodorant doesn't mean you have to sacrifice on odor protection. Oh, no, no. Native will keep you smelling and feeling fresh all day long. With over 10 cents, including rotating seasonals, Native has something for everyone. Their most popular classic scents are coconut and vanilla. I love that one. That's how I first got into it. My friend was wearing it. I was like, what are you wearing? You smell so good. She's like, oh, it's my Native deodorant, coconut and vanilla. Uh, lavender and rose, cucumber and mint, and citrus and herbal. I love the seasonal scents. I mean, there's not one I, 
I have tried that I did not love. Native is risk-free to try. Every product comes with free shipping within the U.S., plus free 30-day returns and exchanges. See why so many people love Native and check out the over 14,000 five-star reviews. That's amazing. And they have a Native newsletter that helps you, you know, just find updates on what's going on over there. So do what I did and make the switch to Native today by going to nativedo.com slash be here or use promo code be here at checkout and get 20% off your first order. That's native, N-A-T-I-V-E-D-E-O dot com slash be here or use promo code be here at checkout for 20% off your first order. You will not regret it. You're going to smell so good. But like you said, like creators turned against you and a lot of people like how... Who, you don't have to name names, but like how and why, what was that backlash about? That you shouldn't do a podcast to find your sister or a TikTok or? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of backlash altogether. When I first entered the podcast space, I thought it would be very similar to when I was interviewing for podcasts and Mm -hmm. that just wasn't the case. Um, I don't want to speculate as to why that is. I mean, I could go round and round. It it feels very much like high school, if you will, really. Um, But yeah, the second I I became a podcaster, it became, um, you know, the responses changed from, I would be happy to help you to, well, you have your own podcast now. So what do you need help for? Or, you know, even in the comments. Competitive. Yeah. I mean, you know, it seems like Sarah's doing fine on her own. She doesn't look like she needs coverage, Um, which I get. Part of me gets. Part of me gets. But part of me is also like, you know, you also have an episode on JonBenet Ramsey. So what's the difference? It is kind of gross to me, though, that people would kind of give you that competitive, like, uh, oh, I guess you don't need the coverage anymore. Like, you're not doing a podcast about your beauty regimen. You're doing a (laughs) podcast about the most tragic thing that's ever happened to you in your entire life. Like, I don't see how anyone could criticize any aspect of that. I mean, I, you know, people have different feelings and emotions and I try not to read into it to be honest like I know what I'm doing is the right thing and the bottom line is Alyssa still needs justice Mm -hmm. um and I think a lot of my disappointment came from my expectations of the true crime podcasting world which was oh my gosh everybody must just be trying to help everyone and this world must be so nice and everybody just wants to get justice for everyone and that's just not the case this is very much a business um Mm -hmm. and some people are cutthroat and I get it to a certain extent but I also so, you know, I, I take it as a learning experience that that's not the way I want to be with my podcast. Yeah. I want it to be how I thought it should be. Um, and so, you know, like anything else in this world, if you want the world to be a certain way, you need to emulate that. So that's mm-hmm. what I'm trying to do. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Like I, I would be, I would rather be less successful and not cutthroat and be myself. I'd rather be mediocre successful and be able to sleep at night than be someone that was cutthroat and like had to completely change who I am to just be, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't resonate with people like that. Okay. So that's interesting. But I like, I like your TikToks though, where you like have this like snotty look on your face where you're like, this is how much I care. <laughs> yeah. The guys- one where it's like every, I turn off the comments and say every comment is a fuck I give about <laughs> you thinking I'm doing the wrong thing. Yeah. Like, and sometimes maybe I shouldn't get so sassy on there, but I can't help oh, it. It's funny. It's better, every- it's better than feeling bad about yourself. I like the sassiness aspect. 
because I think I'd be a pussy and be like, everyone hates me. Okay. (laughs) I feel, trust me, I feel that way too sometimes, but like for every sassy post you see is like a hundred days of me feeling that way and not doing anything. Um, Mm -hmm. but you know, just like any other social platform, I am just me being myself. You know what I mean? I use it for advocacy, but obviously like TikTok is also an outlet for me. So I enjoy putting out videos, you know, that say, this is how it really is. I don't always want to sugarcoat it. Yeah. And also I think it's cool. Sorry, I interrupted you. I hate when I do that. Um, but like making light of a, like a painful situation, like it's a, it's a great coping mechanism. I think like some of the videos are very scary, like the dad's a pervert one, but then some of them you're like, you're just trying to make the best of a situation that you possibly can and get justice for your sister, which I think is very admirable. Oh, thank you. Absolutely. I mean, and with TikTok specifically, you know what I mean? If you're a user of the platform, you know that certain sounds and certain themes are trending. So when I see something like that, that could be applied to Alyssa's case, I'm going to jump on it because it helps Mm -hmm. raise awareness. You know what I mean? So that's where you'll find me doing some of the sillier ones is because everyone in the world is using the sound right now. I need to figure out how to use it and apply it to Alyssa's case to get attention. It's, it's an algorithm thing. You know, there is a science behind social media. I don't really know how to work TikTok, but that's interesting. So you have to kind of do those certain, so you're just, yeah, it's a means to an end. Yeah, absolutely. You have to work within the social media algorithms in Mm -hmm. order to get attention on there. It's just the way it is. And that comes, you know, from me doing marketing and social media in real life. Mm -hmm. So I just realized as we were talking about this, and when it comes to social media bullying, I didn't realize like you might be experiencing the most extreme type of social media bullying in the sense of like, you know, it's not like, like about, I always say, like, I don't really care if, like, someone calls me fat or something on social media because I'm, like, I used to be so much fatter when I was a kid. Like, it's pretty good now. So go for Aww. it. Like, you should have seen it then. Like, big deal. Like, that um, I'm more offended by, like, a personal attack on if I'm funny or if I'm smart or if I was mean to someone or just, like, oh, this, you know, whatever. Um, so you're you're not getting just even, like, the base level mean girl stuff, like, just, you know, about your looks or about like your boyfriend or whatever. You're getting bullied about, again, the most painful thing that's ever happened to you. I, how do you deal with that? Like, I've asked like just regular influencers, you know, like, how do you deal with being bullied? This is a bullying times a thousand. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I mean, it's a balance between taking constructive criticism and just ignoring the trolls and knowing that there are people that exist on the internet just to get a rise out of people and to comment, you know, really nasty things just for fun. You know, I realize that that is an aspect of social media. There there are some people that really live their lives like that. But, you know, honestly, as much as I can, I do try to take it constructively. Um, But at the end of the day, you know, I have so much peace in knowing that I am telling the truth and doing the right thing that it gets me through so many situations. Because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel bad for what I'm doing because it's right. The police Mm -hmm. told me to get media to help this case. And that's exactly what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I'm doing it on TikTok, which is a new and, you know, somewhat foreign platform to some people and they may not get it, but that's okay because, you know, there's over, you know, about a million people that do get it. Um, So yeah, you just, you take it as it comes and try not to take it personally, learn from it if you can, and then forget about it. 
you're not going to discourage me from doing this because you don't understand it because you watched a six, a 60 second video and know nothing else about the case. Like I, again, I know in my heart that I'm doing the right thing, but you know, mm-hmm. like you said, if they talk badly about Alyssa, that is when I kind of strike back. Um, mm-hmm. I will say something and just, and set the record straight because you just don't do that. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my mom or whatever. People like to say, like, where was the mom? I can't believe the mom knew about this for so many years. And I will go on there and be like, yeah, um, she was trying to get away and then she died of cancer. Like, but thank you for your contribution to this world with this comment. But that's when I get more defensive for sure is when they yeah. talk about other people. Yeah. Actually, you have had a lot of trauma. I'm, I'm very sorry. Um, very sorry. You, I, how do you stay so strong? Like what you, you must've had to grow up a lot faster than most people. I mean, you were what, 12 or 13, 12 when your sister went missing. Yeah. 12 when Alyssa went missing. Under five when your mom died. Yeah. Four when my mom died, 12 when Alyssa went missing and 19 when I was on my own, when my dad went to prison. Um, so, I mean, I felt like I dealt with all those things you deal with in your early 20s by the time I was, like, 21. Like, I bought my house when I was 21. I was, like, ready to, like, get engaged, get married. I was like, this is my life now. I've created my stability. You're um, like, but I feel 50. This is – I've, I've always felt that more, way. I've lived more than most people have, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I've been cooking Thanksgiving dinner for my entire family since I was 12. I have felt like an adult for a very, very long time. You know, even when I dropped out of high school, I had a plan to finish college. It wasn't just like, I'm going to drop out and, you know, I'm done and, you know, we'll see where life takes me. Like, I have had this plan for my life in terms of education and, you know, all this for a long time. Um, But yeah, I mean, you just deal with it day by day and some days are good and some days are bad. I'm not going to say every single day I'm sitting here strong. There are plenty of days where I'm drinking wine in the bathtub crying. That definitely Mm -hmm. happens. It's just a thing. Um, But overall, I mean, and what keeps me going is that Alyssa would have done it for me. Alyssa okay. was so much stronger than me and would have never given up. I tell my dad, like, you're lucky it was Alyssa and not me because Alyssa would have literally murdered you. Alyssa would have <laughs> taken this into her own hands. You would be deceased. And he's like, I know. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's just it's the right thing to do. I, yeah. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. And I guess you do feel like you just sort of like, what else are you going to do besides adapt to what's thrown at you in life? I mean, Yeah. Those are your options, right? You can crumble and let it take you. And there's no shame in that, to be honest. You know what I mean? However people react in these situations, I wouldn't say any of them are inappropriate or wrong. But for me, I came to this point where I was like, it's sink or swim. I either let this destroy me or I do something about it that is actively working towards change. And Mm -hmm. working towards change and fighting for it makes me feel better than sitting in the bathtub crying with wine. Totally. Oh, yeah, I agree with that. That's great. Yeah, yeah you're very, very strong, very impressive. I, I mean, I know you probably don't want to hear all the accolades, but yeah, just so you know, I think I'm very impressed by you. You're sweet. Thank you. I'm just that person that's not good at taking a compliment. I'm like, thanks. You're like, I'm uncomfy. Uh. <laughs> no, I, I get it. Um, so in regards to like where the case is now, um, why did it seem like it was going to be a couple weeks? that they were going to arrest your dad and then now it's been well that was 2018 right or 2019 uh january of 2019 okay so it's been a year and a half yeah um what why 
So that's a great question that I don't fully have the answer to. Um, when the police sent me that email and said, we are presenting this case for prosecution or submitting it for prosecution to the county, mm-hmm. of course, I called the county and said, is this real? Is this happening? You know, when do you think I'll know? Because at this point, I had already been speaking with them because mm-hmm. I learned at the end of 2018 that they had already requested it. So I had been keeping in contact, just reaching out to them to see what I needed to do to get this case tried. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, is this email real? What's going on? They're like, yeah, you know, you'll probably probably know in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And I call back after the two weeks. I'm like, hi, like I am so polite. It is unreal when I talk to these officials. I'm like, hi, like, you know, it's been over two weeks. I just wanted to check back in. And they're like, yeah, no, I'm sorry. You know, I think I misspoke or maybe there was some confusion. It's going to be another two weeks. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, that makes sense. Like, my goodness, it's such a big decision. A month doesn't seem like that crazy long of a time, but yeah, now it's been, um, I think 19 months. And, and you have no, like, is there, I don't know, is, is it, because I thought originally, like, is it politically motivated? Is there someone running for office that doesn't want to lose a case, for example, so they're not willing to put it up for trial if it's not, you know, 100% like home run? So there's a few different things behind the state or the county prosecutor's office that's been happening. Um, First, Bill Montgomery used to be the um, state prosecutor, Mm -hmm. and there was some controversy around him, and he was um, taken out of his position along with Juan Martinez, who was Jody Arias' prosecutor. There was, I believe, some sexual misconduct. Didn't they date or something? Is that, oh no, not prosecutor, or was it a defense attorney? She hooked up with someone, right? So I believe Jody Arias was, um, it was speculated that she had a relationship with her lawyer, but no. Okay. Um, Juan Martinez is the Arizona or the Maricopa County state prosecutor that was trying to get her convicted. Mm -hmm. Um, Literally their back and forth is like one of my favorite uh, court videos I've ever seen, but um, essentially what I'm writing it down. No, seriously. It's like her answers are, Jody Arias is something else, uh, but her answers are (laughs) insane. Um, But essentially, you know, there was some type of misconduct that got the former county attorney and, you know, one of his prosecutors um, taken out of office, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was he was re- replaced with Alistair Adele, who is the newest county attorney who she literally follows me on Twitter, which gives me so much hope. I really hope awesome. it's not false hope. Um, but she is up for re- for reelection this year because she was put into the seat, you know, so suddenly she has to be reelected to stay there. So um, I think it's really interesting what she'll do. I mean, a lot of people are looking, obviously, I think that this is one of the highest profile cases in the state right now that she mm-hmm. has to answer to. Good. So whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, I really hope it's a good thing and that she realizes that this isn't going away. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah. I don't know what to think. Yeah. That's, that's the unknowing must be so frustrating. Like, and does anyone give you any updates or is it just like, yeah, no. you just, yeah. At this point, I like have no idea how I will find out. You know, the police say that the county will call me, but the county has said that they don't really want to speak to me because I could be a potential witness. So I feel like I'm going to find out with the rest of the world. Yeah. And that makes sense. And that's the thing. Like the the county said, don't talk to your dad. The county said, we can't really talk to you because you're a witness. Like, just be careful. And I, from the second they told me that I shut all that down. I stopped trying to call them. I never talked to my dad again. I... It tries so hard not to do anything in this case that's going to jeopardize it while still keeping the media pressure on. It yeah. is probably one of the most stressful things about this entire journey. Yeah, I could see that. I think you're doing it. I mean, I'm no expert. It does seem like you're doing a good job of it, but I can see now why, especially for how like litigious your dad is. Is that the right word? Yeah, like, yeah, it like is. Litigious. Any, yeah. Um, where 
he'll he'll find some loophole where it's like, oh well, she she spoke to me at this time, so this is you know this this court needs or this hearing needs to be thrown out or something like. So I, I, I guess I can see that. That makes sense. Well, then the other part that really threw me off was why can't they, why is no one searching the areas? Like, is it desert city or desert center? What is it? Desert Desert center, California is where the yeah. police said that they would like to search for Alyssa's body. So why? So fine. They have all these reasons why they can't, you know, that you can't just send people out there this time in the weather and all, whatever. So then why are they telling you you can't? Why can't you just, why, why can't you like, you know, do a GoFundMe and get people like, why would, oh, would that maybe ruin the case since you'd be a witness? So the police have never directly told me that I cannot look for Alyssa's body. Mm -hmm. They have told me that they will not participate with me in a search for her body, that they will not search for her body. And mm -hmm. I've met a lot of people through true crime that are prosecutors, law enforcement, that type of thing that are advising me against doing my own search without a member of the police present with us. Yeah, um, that makes sense. Yeah. But now that, now that we just talked about the, like, you're a witness. Yeah, it could, it could. There's so many loopholes in legality, right? Like you could just do one thing wrong and it would. Yeah. Well, in, in worst case scenario, you know, if the police do hold this grudge against me, which I'm not saying they do, I'm just saying worst case scenario is um, I find Alyssa's body and they say, oh, well, you knew where it was the whole time and you put it there to make it look like your dad or something to that effect. I mean, that's worst wow. case. Do I think that that's likely? Probably not. But do I want to take that chance when it could go to court without a body? No, there's no reason to. Yeah. I mean, in the future, if I have to, and if this court doesn't go through, they refuse to present it again with whatever new material they need, then me searching for Alyssa's body is absolutely the last resort, but it's something I will do. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I had like a rash reaction to it. Like, why can't she just do that? She can just get people to do it. But now I see like, it is so complicated. It's so complicated. Yeah. You probably feel like you've like gone to law school without actually going to law school through this. Pretty much, pretty much. And your reaction is super common. I get that all the time. People are like, just go search for it yourself. What are you doing? Like, you don't, like, I, that's one of the main criticisms I get. And um, yeah, and like I say, it's just, it's not um, plan A. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? It's just, it's not the best look. If one member of the Phoenix Police Department would come with me, it'd be a totally different story, but they aren't willing to do that. What if just like citizen detectives did it? Could, I mean, is that a possibility? Not that I'm saying I want to do it, but... <laughs> I mean, I feel like even if I had a thousand witnesses against one police officer, it's still it's still a tricky thing in court. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. They could say, oh, well, you just, you know, you're so, in, you know, entwined in Sarah's story and you just love her so much as a creator. Of course, you're going to lie for her. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. yeah. So it's just tricky. So tricky. Yeah. I believe, though, the heat is on, I think, with all of the, all of your, you know, your social media following, your podcasts, like. People aren't going to shut up about this. I think you, you've touched enough people. Enough people are mad and they're not going to forget it. So I think, I think you're going to have justice sooner rather than later. And I think there's a lot of people that really care about it. Yeah, I think so too. You know, when I talk about it, it's like the only possibility I, I speak about. I'm like, when this goes to court, um, because I have to put that positivity out there and believe that myself or else how can I expect anyone else to? Yeah, yeah, I believe that. So can I ask you a few of the listener questions? Absolutely. Okay. I love um, listener questions. I love listeners. There, everyone was really nice and really excited. Um, 
So Kala said, well, she went, OMG, I have so many questions. I don't know where to start, but please send her my love and support. So some of them Aww. are just nice messages. Um, Gabby said she's listened to your podcast. She can't wait to hear more. She's thinking of you. Um, Thank you, Marissa, Yeah. Marissa said, OMG, this case is so close to where I live. I was obsessed for months. I'm convinced he killed her in support of Common um, opinion. Yeah. I mean, you can't, I can't, if you've listened to your dad talk, it's like, unless he's the most unlucky person ever. No. Right. Um, Andrea said, I'd like to know her relationship currently with her dad and his other children. And what are his other children's thoughts about Alyssa being missing? Yeah. So I have no relationship with my father. It's been that way for quite some time. Um, mm -hmm. when I spoke, when I spoke with him in 2017 and 2019, um, those were the first, the only two times really I spoke with him in many, many years. I just had no desire to have a relationship with him, nor do I still. I just don't, I, I don't care to have a relationship with him. Mm -hmm. um, and as far as my brothers, I can't really speak to that. I don't know what that current relationship looks like. I do believe that most of them have stopped talking to him. Mm -hmm. And um, all of my brothers believe what I do. We all believe that my father killed Alyssa. There's no great debate in our family about what happened over that. We, we've all believed the same thing. Mm-hmm. Did your, do your brothers allow him like around their children or anything? Like, is it, they have children, right? I was trying to figure that out from the podcast. Some of them do have children. And I believe yeah. at this point that he is not allowed, um, around any of them. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, this is the PhD at, I don't know how to say her name, Vithya? Yeah, I'm Vithya. sure it's a beautiful so, name that, yeah. yeah. Sorry if I got it wrong. Um, okay, so she, being a PhD level, PhD level researcher in domestic and sexual violence, she said um, she's interested in hearing more about your processing of guilt and what does that look like for you now and how have you addressed it? Oh, that's a great question. Um... In her podcast, she talked about tattling on her sister and feeling a closeness to her dad, all very developmentally normal and understandable things. I'm sure she's had to process the guilt even though all of those things are so developmentally understandable. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I feel like I'm pretty fair on myself. Do I feel guilty? Absolutely. But do I understand that it's exactly that, that I was just a stupid kid or whatever, doing what most siblings do? Yeah. If I could go back and change those things and be a better, more supportive sister, would I? Yes. I think anybody would feel that way. Um, but, you know, I always say that doing this podcast and, you know, spearheading this movement is like an active form of grieving. Mm -hmm. And that does help alleviate guilt. You know what I mean? I very much believe that you can do bad things in the past or, you know, like being an unsupportive sister, but it's not as if it's unredeemable. Like I'm doing everything within my power to make things right for Alyssa. And that gives me a lot of comfort for the things mm -hmm. that I did in the past. Um, I, you know, like I said, I think the guilt will always kind of be there. I will always regret what happened, but do I feel like I'm the reason she's gone or do I feel like the worst person in the world? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think that I'm helping her all I can now. And that's just, I guess the way I've processed it and learned to deal with it is just, um, being proactive now. Mm -hmm. I, I think, you know, you, you just quickly said there, like, uh, you know, like being a bad sister, you were, um, not even a teenage, you were a child, like a child. Like, how old were you in the video when she said, dad's a pervert? Like, maybe, what, nine or something? Yeah, I think I was like eight or nine. Eight or nine? You probably didn't even know what the word pervert meant. I don't like, think I did, no. Like, your brain, how, you were too young to pick up on that stuff. Like, 
there's nothing you could have done. Like there's, I, I truly believe, you know, unless of course, maybe it was happening to you and you knew what it was. What, what would you, I didn't know what that word meant at that age. I didn't know. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it's just the overall, like wishing we had a better relationship so that she could have come to me with it and we could have fought together mm-hmm. and we could have helped each other. But also like in what world does an older sibling come to a younger sibling for support like that, especially mm-hmm. in the situation in which your mother's gone and Alyssa was taking on this parental role. I just don't think, you know, she would have felt comfortable doing it. Maybe even if we did have the best relationship, but that what think, yeah. if is always there. Of course it is. You, you know, there's so always what younger. ifs. You were so much yeah. younger too. Like you would, who would go to, I, I, yeah, I can't even think of a situation where an older sibling would go to a much younger sibling and tell them the most horrible thing they could ever hear that they probably don't understand and be like, can you help me? Like that, I mean, that doesn't make sense. So yeah. Um, So then, uh, oh, uh, uh, Vithya also asked, um, what is your ideal version of a resolution look like and, and what do you need to get there? And I think that'd be interesting, like, for my listeners to hear like what can the general public do who care about this like i know you have a bunch of signatures and things but is there anything at this moment people can do to help or or is it just a waiting game yes people can still help so justice for Alyssa looks like her having a fair trial for this just finally going to court for our father finally being questioned for the first time in 19 years about what happened to her so that's what justice looks like for me um in terms of people helping it's about sharing her story like you said i've tried petitions in the past i have had people make phone calls and write letters and do all these really extensive campaigns and i have seen nothing work like this compounding media pressure. Mm -hmm. Like when these people are deciding what's going to happen to Alyssa, I want them to see her billboard. I want them to hear about it on the radio. I want them to hear people talking about it at the water cooler. I want them to go home and see a YouTube video pop up about it, for it to pop up on their favorite podcast, for them to see an ad on Facebook. I want them to be enveloped by it because that is what I have seen actually works. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Talk to people about it. Like, and I think that that does just naturally work. Like from your podcast and from like the TikTok or whatever, just, I'm trying to even just think of the, I've, I've known fully well about it for the last week. I mean, I knew kind of the case, but not as much as I got involved, like obsessively over the last week listening to your <laughs> podcast and stuff. Um, I've had really long conversations with four different people, my mom, my boyfriend, my friend, Jen, and another friend, I think is a podcaster. Yeah. Like where they had no idea about the story. Now super invested. My mom was even like, Hey, is this the article where you figured out this is the L article where you her TikTok or whatever, like sending me all this other stuff? Like, I think it, it does help. So just keep talking about it, guys. Yeah. Yeah, um, absolutely. And then someone named Sour Grapes on Instagram says she listens to your podcast, watches your TikTok, and is in full support of you. Um, Holly Marie says, You are so badass um, and that you're so supported. She is praying that he is arrested in the near future and you're a powerful woman and we need more people like you. Oh, your listeners are so sweet. Um, Seriously, thank you everyone for the kind words. It does mean a lot to me. I draw so much support from the online community. It's unreal. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, thank you so, so much for doing this. I think I took up um, an hour and 45 minutes of your time. I'm sorry, but I, I really am, I'm invested in this and I, I, I hope that you see it through to the end. I know you will, but I hope that you get exactly what Alyssa deserves. You deserve 
Well, I, mean, I hope your dad gets what he deserves. <laughs> Thank you. No, you've honestly been super fun to talk about, you know, even in a not fun type of situation. Um, I appreciate your insights. They really were um, unique to a lot of different interviews I've done. So thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. So, re- oh, and reach out like side notes.